Hello and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today's show, I have Jed McCrill, co-founder of MileMarker. MileMarker is a, for lack of a better term, data solutions company that helps financial services companies and RIAs specifically integrate data across many different platforms to finally get things talking to each other, <laughs> the, the grand hope. And with that, here's my interview with Judd. Judd, thanks for taking the time today. My pleasure. Glad to spend some time. So, Judge Mackerel of Mile Marker, tell us about Mile Marker. Yeah, Mile Marker is uh, born out of a lot of years of frustration that I've seen financial services industry experience with all of these different systems that we're so dependent upon, not speaking the languages we actually need them to speak, not giving us access to the information we need to build better solutions for our clients. I grew up in the industry. I had the opportunity to join Orion when Orion was very, very small. I think we were 20 people and we were primarily serving our, our parent company, which is CLS Investments. Now those companies are all part of the broader Orion umbrella. But we grew through that time. I got to see kind of how data was moved and integrated. And, and what I found is we made good progress inside of that. But when we go outside the walls of Orion and outside the burgeoning space of, of where financial services companies and advisory firms and insurance and, and broader fintech need to go, it's very difficult to actually build solutions and unfortunately, it's not for the technology as much as it is even the political side. So MileMarker was born to, to really help get through that, to advocate for the data and integrations that you need and to build what you what you really believe should exist already. And, uh, that, and that's what we do. I laughed a little bit when you said the political side, because God, have I encountered that. And it's like, you know, the most common question is like, well, why do you need access to that data? And it's like, it's my data. Why do you try to keep it away from me? <laughs> right? It's also, I think it's a, you know, it's a natural uh, lack of human imagination in that, I mean, how many, when someone, when Windows was developed or a computer was developed or even the iPhone was developed, would anyone have envisioned the ecosystems that grew up around that because of the number of people in the ecosystem just creating inventive solutions for things, for problems no one ever even thought of. And I think that data is the lifeblood of all that. And and frankly, without that, we can't architect the solutions that we don't even know we need at this point. Anyway, that's my rant. So you already went into your history too. You were at Orion and again, talking about a player doing well at, at integrating tons of data. So you cut your teeth there very well and understood the problem. So talk to me about, from your standpoint, the biggest needs that you have that are, or that the that advisors have that are not being addressed and what the holdbacks or what the obstacles are at this point. Yeah, I think one of the biggest problems I see that, that is not necessarily being addressed is, is the idea of data portability. And there's a lot of a lot of firms that are they're seeking to start working with things. They're hiring more technical personnel or their personnel are realizing, hey, I we have so much information here that I can start to build off of. I want to focus my efforts there. So I, I work with people that I've known for almost 20 years, which seems odd, but now they've they've become like the chief information officer for their firm. And they're working to really build solutions within their company. And, you know, there's a lot of really, a lot of really cool things happening inside their businesses, but they're coming against a lot of the different headwinds of companies that just are too busy to serve their, their unique need. And so we come in and help advocate for them, help them take the data they already have, and then automate that to allow them to build and solution on top of it. And uh, it's been really fun. Uh, I'm a creative uh, person. I've been a marketing officer at multiple firms in our space. And my whole goal is to help these financial services companies who are actually inherently creative to actually achieve creativity. 
with data and solutions that they that they need, not just inside of Excel spreadsheets, which are oddly enough very creative and inside of many of these places. Well, so many points there that I feel the pain of, besides being the guy in charge of doing that for myself. And you know, the number of times I get frustrated I have to do something in Excel versus something else. It's you made an interesting point. A lot of these firms know the answer they're looking for. They just don't have access to the tools they need to build it. And the other point you made about the data portability. You know, one of the bigger opportunities and bigger challenges I see in the space is, frankly, I see a lot of you know mid-sized, mid to large-sized firms basically stat- standing up their own data lakes in order to better access that data and control and, and manage it uh, to give them the freedom to move between locations or systems or whatever it is. But that's not a small lift. I mean, you need specialized people for that that are not cheap. So you know, there's yeah. no way you know a single a single RIA, a single person RIA, or even a small one can afford to do something like that. It's not even a, a budget. It's about time. Yeah. Kind of like what you said. And yeah, I mean, we, we find ourselves more and more uh, helping to help companies achieve a data warehouse experience, whether they, they want to aspire toward a data lake, which is uh, data lakes are fundamentally unstructured data. Uh, the thing I've found in our space is that very rarely have you ever encountered an opportunity to, to use unstructured data for good? Uh, it's a pain in the butt, isn't it? No, I mean, honestly, yeah. it's, yeah. I mean, the word unstructured alone should be something that basically makes people skin crawl. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just a dumping ground, right? And then, yeah. you know, getting, figuring out what data should be talking to, what other thing or what you should be talking to, it's, it's a job in itself. So for us, we, we live, I mean, we can help with that, but it's not the right thing to do for people. The right thing is help them live a very structured life, help everything be intentional and help it all speak together. Every firm has some sort of uh, data schema that represents their customer, their internal customers, maybe those are advisors, maybe they're you know planners, maybe it's a, a full team or an ensemble, maybe it's executives. There, there's data schemas for everything they need. How do we take every piece of information that exists in your licensed data and help you start to bring that together to be able to, to be actionable, uh, to be experiential, and ultimately be automated and efficient. That's what we see a huge, huge opportunity. And we're having a lot of fun with, with our, we've been, we launched this about a year ago. We were going to be a little more stealth and caught wind that I, I left my prior place to start this business. So we, we got out in the public a little bit more than we wanted to. But you know, we've got a good number of firms that we're serving now that we're able to help them experience that. It's been really refreshing for me to see progress happening every day inside their businesses. And what's the range of size of firm you're dealing with at this point? Yeah, I mean, we work with firms that are probably about three billion and up, and mm-hmm. in terms of AUM or thirty million dollars in ARR, or not, yeah, ARR in terms of annual recurring revenue. And then, you know, we work with fintech providers to help their customers or help them solution new new um, solutions inside their businesses, API work uh, that's they don't have the time to do. And then we work with insurance providers as well to help them better serve their customers. There's a lot of data in all those places and there has not been a lot of invention as of late. It's a little tired in terms of the the progress that's happening. There are some people that are out there doing some really cool things. We believe we're one of them and uh, we're excited about what that's becoming. So talk to me about what your engagements look like. You you basically go into a company. How do you, like, what's the first thing you do? How do you triage a situation and, and what is it you're trying to create? It's got to be yeah. different problem. Well, we try to follow a, a standard process. And the first, first process is really to acquire every bit of access to the data. So let's, let's make sure we can access the data. And we're very, we're very nimble in terms of the way we can do that. We can take a flat file, you download, and turn it into an API. I mean, we do that very commonly. And we 
automate that process so you don't have a human pushing a button once a day forever. That that needs to go away. We take care of that. So we'll automate the data load process. Then we identify what that schema is. Now, who's the client? What data do they need? Where can we get it? And we continually work with you to make that happen. Fundamentally, we're providing managed services to help you onboard into that process. And we provide software, uh, which is our API technology, our data cloud, and our ETL processing, which is really the, the rules engine that says, here's what your data is doing and when and how, and how quickly it refreshes. And then we plug that into either third-party software that you want to use, or we, in some instances, help you utilize third-party software we're continuing to advance. So to sum it up, essentially what you're doing is you're, get, you're collecting all the information, putting it in one place in a structured way, setting up your API level over top of it so that people so you can connect it to other things. And then you've got some form of like grand, you know, some sort of air traffic control that tells you what the status of all of it and where it's flowing to is. So that later enables you to connect to whatever other system you want to. So that's about right. summing up. It does. And we can work with the most ancient of things. Uh, we, we connect to mainframes. In this industry, you have to. You have right? to. Like COBOL, as much as we pop, pop, poo-poo it or whatever, whatever the word is for that, as much as we downplay that, those are actually security risks to like not exist. Like they're supposed to exist. The government wants COBOL systems and mainframes to still exist because it cuts down on like potential threats. It's crazy. I know. Um, it's, it's a running joke on the podcast, but the reality is how many people still can code in COBOL and it's every time it comes up and just like, okay, I get it. But how much longer do we have to rely on 1960s technology? If not, wait a minute, I mean, Grace Hopper worked on it. How old is it really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very, it's a fifties technology, I believe. Oh God. Yeah, um, no. <laughs> and it's hilarious to me that you have, I'm going to call them kids, uh, but kids that graduate with their computer science degree, and then they somehow get bamboozled into writing COBOL. But those people are necessary. Uh, there should be like a, a rare hole on, on that. Yeah, absolutely. But there are people that do it because somebody has to support these things. I, um, I tell people all the time, you want your, you want your developer kid to make a fortune, get, teach them COBOL. Forget Python, forget everything else, mm-hmm. teach them COBOL because I can't go like a week without talking to a fintech or, or like a, a larger legacy company where they're just like, yeah, no, we, we got this guy who's like 72 years old and uh, he, he handles that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. So we cloud enable COBOL if you need it, which is pretty exciting to be able to build. You know, we have one client that's outside of financial that we work with and, and we cloud enable a COBOL system on a on-prem mainframe to be running uh, at a level of a Shopify because they have a million plus SKUs as a retailer and we make that happen. And no one knows different under the hood that ultimately we are cloud enabling that. So what an ingenious solution for a problem that shouldn't exist in the first place. I mean, like I just, you know, I'm sure no one back in the 1950s thought that this stuff would be still in use in the 2020s. Like I just, okay, I got to move on. All right. So talk to me. I mean, you know, you're seeing the typical integrations off the bat, I would think, right? You're going to integrate in the CRM because that's, again, the, yeah. the, the the kind of touch point for where everybody goes on a daily basis. You're going to um, get into the portfolio management software. Of course, you've integrated into Orion. I'm getting, you know, just on your website and mm-hmm. giving your history, I get that. And then, of course, like, I guess, core level financial planning software. You know, what else are you getting into or what, else, what kind of like in what kind of solutions are you actually building from scratch that people maybe couldn't do before? Yeah, I mean we're we're building some really nice cloud private well private investment like really for the illiquid alts mm-hmm. technology. We're helping with with cloud enabling a lot of that cuz 
not, it's not even cloud enabling. It's just opening that whole world a little bit. So it could be more modern. So we're working in that with the company I've also partner in. So a little bit of a little easier to work fast in that, in that environment. And we work with insurance providers a lot, commission data, making sure that all that stuff's flowing appropriately, making sure that the processes of getting that information is modernized because it's, it's generally a lot of middleware that people have invented uh, to make that happen. And then helping people take APIs and turn them into experiences. We can take an API and, and turn it into whatever, whatever you need it to be. And these are not necessarily things that are even special to us, but it's just that we are wholly purposed for this. It, whereas you'll have folks inside your company that just, you know, they could they could read a lot of Stack Overflow and, you know, figure things out and make solutions. They just don't have time. They don't have time for scale, creates a service risk if that person leaves. Like there's just a lot of need for people to truly invest in automation and integration. And that's where we find ourselves. Uh, we're, we're working to make that better every day. And it's to find my life. All this falls on my shoulders and it's a distraction from dealing with the clients, but at the same time, it's a necessity. And then I build something and it doesn't get touched for six years. So that's, that's the problem. So, all right. Talk to me about what you're seeing in terms of quantifiable metrics in terms of, um, you know, productivity gains, like what, you know, what kind of case studies do you have that show that, you know, you've saved X number of hours or provided X number of, you know, the ability for someone to scale larger. Yeah, I mean, we we've been able to help people save months of human capital after a pretty short amount of time. Like I said, uh, people that are working very creatively and inside of uh, Excel and inside of their their CRMs to build these unique things that ultimately they have to just continually refresh. We automate all of that, so we're giving people back time uh, that they can be more repurposed on it, and it varies uh, based on the one the skill level of that individual. Uh, their maturity, to the complexity of the of the problem, and, th- and three, the diversity of the data sources. So we we really, you know, we really take all those into account and automate that. Whether it's formulaic or if it's straight data flows, we're able to manage all that stuff so people get time back. Especially as people are, I have, you know, I had Twitter up a second ago, and the Great Resignation is trending right now. I have no idea what that's about. I mean, imagine that it's more of the same, but like, it's great that you have these things built, but ultimately they have, they require a human to manage it. And we believe that people don't have to be stuck in that same spot. We should be limiting the liability inside the firm by automating everything possible so that people can be more onward and upward in terms of their, their day-to-day. Well, let's also face it. I've always described that sort of stuff as heavy lifting, right? At the end of the day, something that's repetitive and manually intensive in that regard is far better and more efficiently handled by technology than it is by human beings. We're prone to keystroke errors. We're prone to <laughs> getting inundated with other work and not getting stuff done on time versus, you know, same data over and over again, push a button, push it to the next. You know, that's just the way it should be in the end. But the reason you even created the company was just getting started and all this and handling it all is just such a challenge right now. And even, you know, your, your, your entry level, if you're talking about 33 million, was $30 million in ARR, was it 3 million? 30, yeah, 30, 30, 30 yeah. in annual revenue generally. Yeah. We just kind of drew a line because we feel like, hey, these people are more more uh, a fit <laughs> for us because of the complexity of the organization. They have probably some level of professionalization in terms yeah. of, of data and infrastructure, and they need to now really get the outside support. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, as everything, it will eventually start to flow down downstream and smaller and smaller companies will eventually be able to get services similar, but it'll take a while. Um, so in terms of these solutions you're building, like, are you just building them from scratch on like Python or are you using, are you leveraging any no-code platforms as well to to get that going? 
Yeah, no, we build everything in Node. So we, we have Node developers, we're hiring all the time. And then on top of that, we are able to work with front-end frameworks that are well-regarded. Uh, we're doing more and more with Vue.js, but we also are going to be doing more with, with React. And we see that as, as a future. So if you have a no-code system that you can integrate APIs into, let's do it. Uh, we don't need to we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Um, we're going to continue to make it a more efficient experience for people to use the data they have. So we'll be investing more and more into the experiential side over time. But right now, we're giving them access to everything they need in terms of the data. Uh, they can get into the warehouse if they want to and start to work in that. We, we train our, our, our customers on different SQL things and whatever they would want inside their warehouse. So Because fundamentally, we're not holding anyone captive. Uh, we're providing them the data is theirs. It's not ours. We help put it together. We'll put it on the cloud provider choice, whether it's AWS or uh, Azure or even Google Cloud, which is less common in, in financial. But that allows them to have agency over everything. Yeah, some of these no-code tools I've used are just mind-blowing. Like, which which ones do you favor most? I haven't had time to play with them enough. I spent a, I, I did a boot camp in Bubble, and okay. that broke my brain on the first day with the like, oh, here's let's just design the page and what it's going to look like. And now let's just connect all the data to it. And like, wait a minute, this is backwards. I don't understand how did <laughs> how did this happen? It's like, oh, and this is how you create your API endpoints. I'm like, oh my god, like, are you kidding me? So mm-hmm. yeah, it's gotten to the point where. Don't get me wrong. If you're if you got a base level of technological knowledge, and not even that much, I mean, quite honestly, just understand what the terminology is. You can literally take a boot camp and start solutioning your own your own you know solutions altogether. But the problem is, is is that as you identified earlier, it's a time, right? Um, I've got two projects that have been sitting on the shelf for for over a year now, simply because business just got that busy, and splitting my attention between so many things becomes difficult. But that said, I'm, I've learned my lesson. The next project is just hiring someone else to do it in Bubble. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a different era. And I honestly believe that we're kind of at the genesis of of what I'll refer to as like almost a Cambrian revolution and in, in people developing their own solutions. Because, you know, whether it be more sophisticated stuff like what you're doing, um, the tools are getting better and better and easier and easier to use with very little training. And whether that be you hiring someone dedicated to do something and they're being able to create 10 things in the time that it would have taken to create one previously, or, you know, even a startup financial advisor who gets to split his time between marketing, client servicing, and business dev because they got more free time. They just don't have their clients. They can invest time in, in a lot in basically designing a lot of their own stuff now. Like and we're not talking about big end-to-end integrations like what you're talking about. I'm talking about like, hey, I populate this form every time. Here's the data, right? I can technically connect to this. I just need something to produce this thing at the end of it. Yep. And that sort of thing is doable now. And I think the thing is that's difficult is oftentimes people just have a really hard time even expressing what they want. So getting into these these tools and understanding them allows you to like really say, oh, this is actually what I wanted. This is, if I can now yeah. connect this. And that's where it's it's really fun for us. It's like, okay, I've started down this path and I know what I need, but now I'm I'm finding I can't get that part of it. Can you help me assemble this? And yeah. it's a pretty fun opportunity. Yeah. And I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. It's it's the getting rid of the unknown unknown. It's just the awareness of what's possible. Once you're aware of what's possible, oftentimes I, I you know, I've had this before. It's like, I would wish I had something to do at XYZ. I'm like, have you have you done this in like a flowchart or or like a wireframe to explain how you want it to work? Well, no, well then you, you haven't figured it out yet. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when, I find when people when people start doing that, they start questioning, is stuff possible working backwards? But it's it's um yeah, we're what can I say? You're an interesting level of an interesting trend that I think is just gonna gain traction because frankly for years, we always say the same thing. It's like, why can't these two things talk together? Why can't these two? The answer is they can. 
the issue is the level of effort required previously was so substantial. And that that bar just keeps on getting dropped every year, right? So it's interesting to see how this is all developing. Yeah. I think the the thing that if I fast forward and and maybe even this is present for, I know that some of my friends that are advisors do this already, but like, I really believe that the future of, of a financial advisor or somebody that's inside of a financial services company in general is so much more of your time is going to be spent on cloud collaboration than you mm-hmm. even realize. Like, I use Otter for recording my meetings so I can share with my team so I don't have to have people that are Zoom omnipresent, you know, like, hey, come to this meeting so you can listen. Like, no, here, go to minute five. We talked about the details you care about. Go. I saved you an hour. You know, Loom for recording videos to work with my developers to say, hey, this is what I mean. I can't express it very well. This would take me 20 minutes to write the email in detail that I can show you in three seconds. And even in the design tools that we use from Figma to prototype different things, like I'm in there all the time. That's what my job is. And email has actually come down in the amount of stuff. We, we connect with Slack through our customers. So we're in sharing Slack connects and all that stuff is, is highly evolving at a rate that was so in pandemic obviously helped a little bit, but like, it's not going to slow down. That's going to be our jobs. This is the new email, whether you like it or not. And I think the more that we realize the value of it, how much it accelerates progress, the more people will lean into it for a lot of good. Funny, it kind of goes back to our comment on unstructured data. Email is nothing but unstructured data, right? It's just everything that ever that you ever need to look at goes in one place versus, hey, here's my Slack channels for the things that actually matter. Or here's, you know, like and some of these tools you mentioned in terms of like visual representation. I mean, bloody heck, the, the amount of time I've saved on staff training or even tech troubleshooting with Loom is just insane because I can describe a problem or a solution or I can just shoot a five-minute video and show you, right? Mm-hmm. And then, oh, that sits in a library and you can reference that anytime you want and I don't have to go back. Yeah. Like, just huge. Just- in a library I probably made over an afternoon and posted into, uh, you know, a Notion doc. Notion, yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, here you go and I can license it to you or whatever and it can change the next time I want to. It's not, I don't have to go through a process. I just re-record the Loom video and I'm done. It's one of those things where I always say to people, like everybody always says they're busy, but I always say like, if you're not willing to invest the time to standardize and and create a process or recording or something repeatable out of it, you're just not solving your own solution. And, you know, the number of times a number of videos that are growing in our Loom library for for training and whatnot for all kinds of issues. And just knowing that I can just point the staff to to this video or Google or search for this in Notion, night and day, the amount of time it's saved is is, is astonishing. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, scale is always the hardest thing we're chasing, especially as, you know, the great recession or great, uh, great resignation, excuse resignation. me, is trending. A recession um, yet. Yeah, not yet. We're due. But, you know, anyway, as that's trending, scale is a huge issue. Um, Figuring out how do we retain people or not retain them, not even replace them, because now we've built scale inside of our processes. Everybody knows what to do. Like those are those are huge opportunities in the future. Reinventing the business all the time. I think somebody told me once that if you're not reinventing your job every six months, you're doing it wrong. And I can count the number of founders that actually get the opportunity to do that in financial services on like maybe three fingers, because a lot of times people are stuck in all these different processes and this hamster wheel. But I think there's a huge time now for us to break out and reinvent what we're doing, create scale, communicate well, and automate everything we can in our business. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a, it lends to a conversation to mind about mindset. And it's, I've had this conversation before where 
I said, listen, you know, my entire business has probably been torn down and rebuilt at least three times. And then within that, there's all the small incremental changes that happen constantly. And other people said to me, well, that sounds exhausting. I just want to do one thing. Definitely. It's like, yeah, good luck to you surviving then. And also it's like, you want to be an employee, right? Yeah. You want to be an employee, nothing wrong with that. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you want your business to thrive, it's a, it's a separate mindset. So before we uh, get to the final questions, I do want to ask you, like, so people who want, maybe don't qualify at your level to work with someone like you, they want to get started at taking control of their data, taking control of their of standardizing their digital processes. What advice would you give them? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're certainly available for phone calls to talk through that, what ba- basic steps you can do. The, the reality is, you know, Eric Clark, uh, the founder of Orion, taught me this one thing. And it was like, every advisor is like a snowflake. And it's true. Like everybody's, everybody's different. And the snowflake is like, on, it represents honestly, like different data, different business practices, different workflows. So everybody's got a little bit of a different approach. We encourage them, hey, come, come ask us, you know, give us, give us the rundown of what you're doing, where you're trying to go. We will be as fiduciary as possible to say, this is what you should do. If you want to build something in a bubble, great, go do it. Maybe, maybe you can get it done, you know, way faster than you thought you could. But if you want to really, really harness your data, we're probably a solution. There might be some other ones out there. And I think that's probably a really good opportunity. And just start paying attention to what's happening in data. Uh, you know, the economist had the the cover that was data is the new oil or, or whatever. And it, that's honestly true. Um, it's a huge, huge opportunity inside of that to really modernize and make that realized as much as possible. So that's our opportunity is to really help that. And every company is going to be a data company uh, if they aren't already. And so yeah, understanding that, yet. yeah exactly. Uh, understanding that's part of your identity is a huge opportunity. Yeah, it's um, all of the snowflake comment. The, the thing is, I think people go too far with it. Uh, and I often say this, it's like, so you're complaining that this thing only does 95% of what you want it to do and you don't want to use it because it doesn't do the other five? Get realistic. Yeah. <laughs> it's, so sometimes it's uh, it's just knowing when enough is enough and, and uh, getting close enough. But you're right. Everybody, I always... <laughs> I always tell companies that I consult with, it's like, you don't realize just how particular everyone is in this business. Everyone yeah. wants it done their way. So, and their way is the right way. That is what it is. So with that, before we wrap up, there's three questions I ask everybody is to end up the positive make you think. The first one is, if you had one wish for something you could change in your company or the industry as a whole, what would it be? Man, I think that we would, my one wish would be is that we adopt the uniform standard for how how data is provided and that we we take that seriously in the same way we take our processes and procedures for compliance and legal because i think that that will dramatically prove itself as a positive roi for your company in the years to come companies in the future are going to have to be soc 1 soc 2 iso certified and understanding what that means today will dramatically improve your long-term value, honestly, as a company. And so that's that's the one wish I have is like, start getting serious about that. Start really getting accountable. And don't just, I mean, there's a lot of really great chief information officers. There's also a lot of people that are holding that title by default, and they aren't actively out there getting better at their job. And so question everything, help people continue to improve that, and have perspective that's way bigger than our our current field because it's coming sooner than than we even would think. Yeah, it made me think of the uh, Equisoft hack and the <laughs> chief technology officer who had a degree in 
I think it was English literature or something. So holding it by default is a real is a real thing, unfortunately. And uh, yeah, you hit upon a very delicate subject in my world, which is uh, which is essentially open finance, right? Like that's what we're talking about here is is standards and protocols and and creating a common language to, to facilitate all this. And I 100% agree with you. And I, I honestly get frustrated talking to some very legacy minded people in that you know they think friction or not sharing or not making accessible is somehow a strategic advantage. When meanwhile, it's like the ecosystem play that exists for those who basically lean into this is so enormous that it is it's hard to wrap your head around, but try to convince people what the future looks like. And when they're when they're used to thinking about the past, it's difficult. Yeah, there's a whole thing of kind of being rich and tired inside of our space. And I think that that's it's fine if that's who you are. That's great. Congratulations. I'm sure you've earned it, but make sure that that doesn't go down uh, stream to the rest of the organization. You have to have people that have a tenacity to grow and build and prove themselves and are constantly looking for an edge. This is this type of stuff that's going to give you a dramatic edge uh, as you look to, to grow the business. Yeah, and it's so true. I mean, and I all say this much. It's one of these things where when when you stop being hungry, you stop being useful to the company. And, well, useful to the company the way that you that got you there. That's a, that's a problem, unfortunately. Yeah, you know, so as I talk to many fintechs, the common refrain of "Yeah, everyone's five years away from retirement and doesn't want to tackle the problem." Right? It's it's they yep. don't want to be their liabilities. So it's sooner or later that's that's mentality's got to change. Second question for you is: What's the biggest challenge in the company to where it is today? Biggest challenge is figuring out the right problem to solve first because there are so many and everyone has kind of a different riff on that. But and I think our first year, we really kind of worked through that and we tackle with our customers. We go after what's the most painful integration problem you have right now. Let's go after that together. Let's conquer that. And we're going to use some common denominator things to do that. We're going to put a data warehouse in place. We're going to stand that up. We're going to put an API up in place. That's going to be your API. Uh, it's an API engine. It powers your future. And then we're going to install the rules for how your data is managed. And then after that, let's go. Let's build some cool stuff. But it took us a little bit to figure out because we could approach that from lots of different angles uh, in terms of workflow and all kinds of different things like that, being the service now of this space or something like that. We could, we could have done that. But ultimately, we understood the common denominator framework doesn't exist to help normalize financial services data. And we're building that and deploying that for folks now. Last question is, what excites you the most about what it is you're working on gets you out of bed in the morning to keep on fighting the good fight? When I see the impact of our solutions on our customers, when I understand that they're no longer doing what they were doing before because we came in and made an impact, and they're able to go out and, and focus on more productive parts of their business, and they're able to deliver things to their clients, whether they're internal stakeholders or external, in a way that is more modern and just excellent, that's what gets me fired up. That should absolutely be happening. Shouldn't just be us doing that. I know it's not. I know there's a lot of other people out there doing their own solution, whether it's a planning software or an API software, uh, like a life yield or something like that. But you know, for us to be able to help people realize the impact of, of their ability to manage their data now, it really does help me get out of bed. Not that I, I haven't had an alarm clock uh, this whole past year. I wake up every morning without one. It's exciting to me to just get up and, and go build stuff. I do too, but it's usually because of small children. So I have those too. <laughs> so that, that doesn't hurt uh, with, with that either, but uh, yeah. generally I'm up well before them. Excellent. Judd, thank you so much for taking the time today. I very much appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Jason. I appreciate it. So that was an interview with Judd Mackerel of Mile Marker. Hope you enjoyed that and uh, enjoyed the conversation about just how important data is and leveraging that within your practice to digitize your process is. 
And yeah, it's a little bit cost prohibitive or prohibitive in access currently, but there's still lots of great solutions that small advisors can take and adopt currently. And it's only going to get easier. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever is your podcast. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.